Good morning, everybody. Today we will be learning Bezat Hashem, Daf Pei, in Maseches Erevin. Yesterday we finished off by reading the Mishnah on Daf Ayintes Amad Beis. So we start with the Gemara on Ayintes Amad Beis. What did the Mishnah discuss? The procedure of the Shitufe Mavos. As we've been discussing, you have something called Erev Chatseros, where you bring the Chatseros together uh, by, let's say, bringing a and putting it in someone's house. And Shitufe Mavos is when you have a more collective, in, in our case, it's more typically in the old days we used wine. Um, we do Shitufe Mavos. In other words, when we're making what we call colloquially an Erev in Baltimore, right, we're bringing together Mavos streets and, and we are being Mezake, right, everyone, even if it's not in their presence. In other words, I moved to Baltimore a year ago. Nobody get, called me and notified me or asked my permission or my desire to participate in the Erev, we could be Mizake. So Rabbi Heinemann Shlita can take his own box of matzahs, be Mizake Rabbi Hopper Shlita with it, and say, here, I'm Mizake you this, on behalf of all of Baltimore, okay? It's a procedure that you do with a Shitu Femavos. When you do this procedure, you have to lift, as the Mishnah said, the Mishnah used the, uh, the Lashon of, you have to lift the barrel up, a tefach. That's what the Mishnah uh, had said. Uh, Rabbi Leibowitz, the great Dafyomi master, points out why can you be Zoha other people even not in their presence when you have Eshitufu Mavos? Apparently it's not like that with the, with the Erev Chatseros, and the reason is Erev Chatseros people know each other. And so it's the members of your Chatser. As opposed to Eshitufu Mavos, right, you're bringing in other streets, you're bringing in a wider perimeter, a wider radius of people, and so in that larger crowd, sometimes when the, when the city gets bigger, not everybody necessarily knows each other. Okay, so we'll start with the Gemara. And the first thing the Umar says is this idea of lifting it up a tefach. Does it have to be a tefach? Or is that, does that just mean that you're just lifting it up a little bit? So let's see. Because Andrew would jump in and say right away, lifting up a tefach doesn't mean anything. Anything within three tefachs of the ground, Andrew is constantly insisting is lovud. It, it's, it's as if you didn't lift it at all. So if you, if you use Andrew's concept of lovud, why would a tefach even work? So let's see. Amar Yehuda, says the Gemar. Right, so we said it has to be lifted a tefach off the ground. Now, why does it have to be lifted off the ground at all? What does it have to do? How does that being mezake somebody? So that's what the first Rashi in the Gemara says. Right, when you're actually mezake the city of Baltimore with whatever food is in this barrel in the name of the shitufe mavos, uh, you have to lift it. Why the kol Because if it's laying on the ground in his rishus, then you can't be mezake to other people uh, because it's as if it's his. In other words, it's very sim- it's very common. To sort of, so to speak, take it out of your issues by taking it off the ground to show this is no longer mine. This is the concept of being mezaket somebody by lifting something, right? To making a kenyan to start to some degree that maybe also another aspect to it. But here to be mezaket, you're taking it out of your issues by lifting it a little bit. Okay. So says the Gemara, Amarab. Okay, let's talk about two different halachas that we learned from the uh, the elders of Pumpadisa. They're unrelated halachas, other than the fact that the elders of Pumpadisa taught them both. Let's discuss it, says Rabbah. The first one is this idea, this halacha that we just mentioned, of lifting the barrel tefach off the ground. And Idach, the other law, is, uh, is unrelated. Hamikadesh, when a person makes Kiddush, literally, Kiddush, Friday night, or any other time that you make Kiddush, that, let's say you make Kiddush, and... Somebody comes over in, 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 you know, I'm making Kiddush, and then Barry is riding his big wheel and for, with his Pennsylvania, with the Pennsylvania license plate, rams right into me right after I made the bracha of Kiddush, and all of the wine pours out of the Kiddush cup, so I was not able to drink, and I'm not Yotzei. means I have to make Kiddush again. That's the halacha. Okay, Melo Logmov, Asher says it's less than the Revius, so you have to, you don't have to drink the entire cup, but if you didn't get at least this machlokas, whether it's one cheekful, two cheekfuls, but be that as it may, it's, uh, if you don't get to drink, enough of the grape juice or the wine then in, of, of Kiddush, then you're going to not be Yotzeh. That is Allah of the elders of Pumpadisa. More Allah from the elders of Pumpadisa. Does that mean that he's not Yotzeh? Don't we say that Midoraisa is Yotzeh? 
That's a very, very good question because Barry's asking, what do you mean he's not Yotze? Um, don't we sometimes uh, allow you just to have Te'ima uh, on, on its own? That's number one. But Barry's question was more precisely, Midor Raisa, he doesn't even have to make Kiddush. He already made Kiddush already. Uh, let's say if it's Friday night, then he made it in davening itself. He already made Kiddush. So if he was already Yotze, so then does he have to say it again? So that's, so that's a very good question. So number one, maybe this is talking about Kiddush, not necessarily Friday night, but Kiddush that he didn't say in davening. But more likely... Um, more likely, again, if you, the fact that we're allowing you to say Kiddush. Oh, so, so what it means when you're not Yotze, it doesn't mean that you didn't make Kiddush at all as far as vis-a-vis, you weren't Makadish the Yom yet, you know, but I think it means that you, if, to the extent that even after you made Kiddush in Shul, you're going to be making it at home, you're going to have to make that Kiddush again. Now, there's Kiddush Aliyayin, you're not going to be Yotze. Whatever the halakhic implications are of needing to make Kiddush Aliyayin. So if you have to make it again, if, if in any event where you'd have to make Kiddush Alakos, you'd have to make this Kiddush Alakos again. So you're, so you're saying a different question. You're saying, why do you have to make Kiddush on a cost altogether? You, all made, you already made Kiddush in davening. That's a different question, right? But to the extent that you still have to make Kiddush on a cost, you'd have to make Kiddush on a cost again. But we, it is worth exploring, you know, when Kiddush on a cost is or isn't, uh, is or isn't necessary, considering the fact that you're already Yotzei Shul, the idea of somebody being in Shul and being Yotzei, and then being mostly his family, you know, how does that work? Uh, that, is, that is actually a good sugya. We've, we saw it before in Brachos, we'll see it again. We, we'll, we'll see that, we're still in Moe, so we're going to see these, uh, we're going to see these halachas again. Okay. We're about to head into uh, so, some really good some, some really good lambdas with Kiddush. Okay. Anyway, so uh, Barry, would you like to learn more unrelated halachas from the elders of Pumpadisa? Sure. All right. So here we go. This following halacha was also learned by the elders of Pumpadisa. This has to do with a woman who just gave birth. That's called Chaya. Okay. That's that, that's the term for it. And the Medura, if for those of you who grew up in Israel on Lagva Omer, is a bonfire, a big fire. So. You can make a giant fire on Shabbos. Obviously, that is a malacha, the raisa, but obviously we're doing it for pikoach nefesh because this is a woman who just gave birth. Okay, so silver mina. So the Gemara now gives you some history uh, regarding this halacha. That it was originally thought from this halacha that in that the woman who just gave birth is a very special kind of pikoach nefesh. That there's sick people and then there's sick people, right? So we know that when you have a sick person, you have a choshet be'alma, you have a nafal mishkav, and you have a cholish she'ein basakana and a cholish she'yesh basakana, different levels of illness. So we thought that even on top of a, of a cholish she'yesh basakana, that there is this uh, separate category of women who just gave birth. So that is a completely highest level of, of uh, danger, right, where we would do anything including a bonfire. So the original thought was that for a regular cholish she'yesh basakana, regular cholish, you're not going to make a bonfire, but you can make a fire, certainly, for pikoach nefesh, but only for this woman who just gave birth would we make such a giant medura. And furthermore, we thought be mos hageshamim in right be mos hachamalo that only this only in the winter be mos hageshamim only in the winter would you need such an incredibly big bonfire. But during the summer, it's, it's not necessary, and we're not even going to allow you. Maybe we'll make a little fire to, to boil some water for this woman, whatever it would need to be for pikuach nefesh. But a bonfire would be too much, and we're not going to let you. So it's interesting. There was a havamina that we would restrict that we would restrict the uh, kind of uh, fire and preparation we would do for the sick person uh, for this woman who just gave birth. But the Gemara says, no, that's not ultimately what the halacha is. In fact, if you look at Shulchan Aruch, I don't believe you'll see any distinction between the size of the fire or the time of year or anything like that. In fact, but whatever you need to do for Pikuach Nefesh, for any kind of individual who is in danger, you can do. And so that's how the Gemara ends off here. Itma. So, so that halacha of the Saba Pumbedisa ends up over time being uh, understood differently. In other words, the original understanding of the fact that you can make a bonfire for a pregnant woman made it sound like only a bonfire and only for a pregnant woman, a bonfire only for a pregnant woman and only in the winter. And ultimately they said, Itmar. It was later said, no, that that is true that you can make a bonfire for a pregnant woman, but 
that even if you're not a woman who just gave birth, but even if you're just a person who did bloodletting and felt a little bit cold afterwards, right? Because after you lose a lot of blood, you can feel cold. It can be dangerous, right? You have to be concerned about that person's uh, health. In those days, bloodletting was much more common. And so uh, they said in the name of Shemuel that even such a person, that you can make a bonfire for him on Shabbos and even during the summer, which is to say, any chala any chala where you're concerned about their life, pikach nefesh is docha everything. And so even if it's the summer, if this particular person feels cold and you feel it needs to be hot, you can make a bonfire, you can do whatever necessary. You do not hesitate at all in order to provide healing to a sick person uh, when you're concerned about tzakana. The what, what the Shulchan Aruch does say is that you know people have the tendency in order to uh, counteract the tendency that people may have to make the smallest possible fire, to do the least possible in order to minimize malacha of uh, malachas on Shabbos to help a sick person. The halacha actually says that you shouldn't try to get somebody else to do it, you shouldn't avoid malachas and Shabbos and saving a person, but rather the biggest gadol should do the most in order to save the person. There has to be a demonstration, a clear demonstration that Pikuach Nefesh is in fact Docha Shabbos, and therefore you, you, whatever you need to do, you absolutely do. Uh, we talked already about, even with regards to Tchum, uh, earlier when we were talking about Erevin, the, the Shailas and the Machlokas between Rav Moshe and Shalom Zaman, where once you've already taken the woman to the hospital, do you, and you're a Hatzalah member, can you, actually take the, can you actually go back home? That's a different question. We talked about that. That was Mishnah, about going back home. Uh, if you're going for the Dvar Mitzvah. But certainly for the Pikuach Nefesh itself, we spare no expense, we spare no time, and we do not spare anything in order to be able to, to uh, save that person. Okay. More from the others of Pubadisa. Amar Amimar. Hanami Savi Pubadisa. Aminu, they also said, okay, the Itmar Ezohi Asherastam. How can you tell? We had said just recently, within the last few days, uh, we talked about the concept of an Asher, which is a tree that's worshipped as a Vodazar, it's Asar Bahana. Question is, how can you identify such things? So sometimes you can identify, right, because you see that, that tree being worshipped somehow, right? It has, uh, it's a pine tree, and, and you see that it has, uh, and it has, uh, whatchamacallit, all these, um, all these decorations on it. Anyway, so, but how do you know a regular tree, whether it's being worshipped? Okay. So that's what it means by Asher Stam. Asher uh, Stam means you don't see it being worshipped, but you, but it's still in the share. So, what are the telltale signs of a tree that's being used in Vodazar? So, Amarav, this is what you look at for this. This is what Rashi is saying. Even though you don't see people davening to it, you see that it has like it's guarded by these attendants and people are watching it. Somehow, people are giving very special attention to this tree as we finally arrive at that pay. You see, they're being very deferential to this tree. They're not eating the fruit. They're kind of like a bunch of guards standing around it. So that's obviously, something's up with this tree. This is a sign that the Avodei Kachavim are worshipping this tree. Shmuel is giving more advice. He's giving an example of such a tree. If you hear the people who are watching over the tree say, you know, these dates, we're going to use this for beer in the temple of the Avodei Zara called Nitzrafi. Uh, there's a whole bunch of... Uh, uh, Any time you talk about the Ovdek HaChavim and their practices, you're going to have some censorship that goes on here in the Gemara, and you have a lot of parentheses and different girsos, but the bottom line is they would have um, a certain thing that they would drink on their holiday. Uh, you have to look at all the uh, all the shirim from Sid Lyman about the blood libels and all the different things we're concerned. Whenever we talk about the Ovdek HaChavim and their wine ceremonies, we have to be very, very careful because blood libels was always historically a huge issue that uh, the, the guy had this... Um, this urban legend that the Jews used the blood of the Goyim for their wines and stuff like that. So you have to, you have to be very careful with the censorship here. We, um, and anyways, so be that as it may, this is Shmuel saying, if you overhear them talking about how they're going to save the dates from the tree for their ceremony, so then obviously it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be an indication that this is also considered part of their service, and that would qualify this tree as an Asherah tree, which in essence is a Chiddush, because they're actually just using the, uh, the dates from it for that ceremony, and that's still Asherah, even though they mean, I guess, not be worshipping the tree itself, that's considered an Asherah tree. 
Uh, and he points out that I heard and in fact the halacha is like him but that would be considered an asherah tree interesting okay let's get back to Erevin if you guys don't mind four lines down from the top on Payam Beis Meisvei now we're going to have the question we said before our mission as you might recall said that we lift the barrel at off the ground is that a minimum shear let's see we have a brisa. It sounds a lot like our Mishnah. The brisa says, how do you establish, how do you uh, make a collective for Mavoy? How do you make a Shitu Femavos? What's the procedure? So, it says the brisa, right, you bring a barrel, whether it has yain or it has oil, or it has dates in it. It can have, you know, solid food as well. We shall grow gross, fried figs, we shall charmine pears, all kinds of fruits. If the food belongs, so this is, this is something we're going to uh, actually flush out a little bit. If the food belongs to Andrew. Andrew's the one that's collecting all this food. Now, if all the food in this barrel belongs to Andrew, Tzarek Lezakos, he has to then, Rabbi Mezakeh the Rabbin, he's going to make a proclamation, I am conferring this food to the other members of Baltimore. Okay? And so there he can do that, right? Because that's his fruit. However, if Andrew collected fruit that belongs to other people in the neighborhood, then Tzarek Lahadiyah, then certainly you have to notify them at that point that their food is being used for the Shituf, right? Because, after all, you can't use their property in a way that you see fit without their knowledge, even though right? Even though we say that we can actually give somebody a credit um, and, and not in their presence, and even though certainly everybody would want to live inside the Arab, these foodstuffs are their property. So you can't just appropriate them without notifying them. Okay, so, if, but that's why it makes more sense, Andrew, for you to use your own food, I think. In other words, what's most likely going on in Baltimore is they're taking, Rabbi Heinemann is taking his box of matzahs that are personally his, and he's mezake, let's say Rabbi Hopfer, Shalita, on behalf of the entire city of Baltimore. Okay. So fine. So that's what the Bryce says. Now, so, so we're getting to that distinction of whether it's other people's food or your own. And then, the Bryce says that Andrew lifts the box of matzahs off the ground, or the barrel off the ground, Amashahu is the smallest possible shear. So that's even less, that's even less than a tefah. It doesn't matter how high he lifts it. It could be a millimeter. In the world of orthodontics, two millimeters is, a, is an incredibly wide amount. If, if I left your orthodontic case with a two millimeter space between your two teeth, you would sue me. Okay. So you could lift it up two, two millimeters off the ground. So the Gemara answers, my Mashahu, nami kamarta, nami Right? So that's the answer. In other words, the question was, that's a kasha. Because is it two millimeters or, is it, or does it have to be a full tefach? And the answer is, why? What does it mean when it says mashu? That's what the, that's what the mission means, or in the b'risa, what's what they mean when they say a tefach. A tefach is just an uh, illustration of a small shear. So even though for us a tefach is a huge amount, for the case of the barrel, it really is just trying to illustrate that you lift it up a tiny bit. Any, as long as you see daylight between the barrel and the ground, you've lifted it long, um, high enough in order to effectuate this air of shutafem of us. Okay, good. Okay, now we're going to get into really, really interesting um, distinctions between Erev Tchumim and Shitufim Mavos. This is an, an incredible part of Dafpei in Erevin that nobody could take away from you as follows. Okay, so now, Itmar, we said regarding the food, Shitufim Mavos, Rav Amar Ein Sarch Lezakos. We're going to have a machlokas here between Rav and Shmuel. Our Mishnah had said that when you make a Shituf Mavos, you have to be Mazakeh, the other members of the Shituf Mavos. Rav is against our Mishnah, which is amazing. Now, I'll give it away a little bit, that Rav can argue, as you might recall, Rav was for the last of, he was a Talmud of Avchia, who was the last of the Tanaim. Okay, the Tanaim lasted from around the year, we're going to talk about Gadesha dates, from year zero to year 200. Okay? So, uh, Rav learned from Avchia, Avchia was considered the last of the Tanaim. But Rav was such a giant, in the world of the Amraim, it's considered the world of the Amraim, we, we say Rav Tana Upalik, right? That Rav had the authority to even sometimes argue on Mishnayas. So our Mishnah clearly says that we have to be Mazakeh, others, with the Shutuf Mavas. And in fact, that's how we paskin. But Rav said you didn't when it came to Shutuf Mavas. And Shmuel, who we all like, said that, like our Mishnah, that certainly we have to be Mazakeh. Okay? Now here's the interesting contrast. However, Eruve Tchumim, the halacha is opposite. With regards to Eruv Tchumim, Rav Amar Tzarech Lezakos, there, by Eruv Tchumim, right, what we call, what, remember Eruv Tchumim, guys? 
that you, when you set up your own uh, Arab, like you're setting up a bias so you can establish a 2,000 amma perimeter and walk. So there, Rav says, what case could that be that you have to be Mizake? So again, obviously, we're talking about um, Andrew's going on a trip. He's an outdoorsy guy. And he's going, and if he wants to enable Barry to use his sort of like perimeter, the new bias that he did, right? So he's going to, ha- he's going to have to have a formal acquisition, some sort of uh, zikoi that he's going to be Mazaka Barry in order for, Z- for Barry to use the air of Tchumen. Okay. So that is, again, we're not used to that. Um, but that's what Rob says you have to do. Okay. And Shmuel Amar ain't Sarach Lezakos. And with regards to the air of Tchumen, Shmuel says you don't have to confer any ownership. So the truth is we're used to Shmuel, right? Because that's what the lacha is like. Shmuel just says, what do you mean? needs a zikoi because everybody's giving up property rights, right? Everybody's giving up their share in the, in the Mavoy. So of course, if they're giving up their share in the Mavoy, then you have to be, you have to actually transfer. You actually transfer something. Tchumen, you're not transferring anything. What, what's going on? You're not transferring anything for Tchumen. And therefore, you don't need to be Mazaka anything. All you're doing is establishing the, the residence. So we had already said, if Andrew has, uh, Barry in mind and they agree, so that they don't have to make any Kenyan here. So this is what we're used to, right? Because that's how the Allah developed. But just to explain Rav, um, Rav, the opposite suggestion is as follows. He says that, that Shito Mavas doesn't need a Zikoi because Shito Mavas is, is something that everybody wants. Everybody wants the same thing, right? Um, like Birnbaum says, it's only a good thing, right? Everyone wants an Arab in their community, right? So that means that everyone agrees implicitly. With regards to Shitu Femavaz, everybody's going to agree implicitly regardless. Like, who doesn't want an Arab? Like, why wouldn't you want an Arab? And, and however, for Tchumim, you'd have to be, make some sort of formal opinion because if Andrew wants to go east, maybe Barry wants to go west. So in order to formalize that, that's very individual, so you'd have to make some sort of formal procedure in order to um, join Barry in uh, Andrew's Erev Tchumim. So very interesting because there's like a lumbus that runs through Rav Shita and a lumbus that runs through Shmuel Shita, and they hold the exact opposite of each other with regards to Shitu Femavas and Erev Tchumim. But we're more used to um, Shmuel Shita. And that's a Gemara quite comments now. Gemara says, Bishlema Shmuel. I understand Shmuel makes sense. In other words, here, with regards to Shitu Femavas, we're used to the idea of Imazake. And that, and over there by Erevit Chumin that we learned earlier in Masechus Erevin, we know there was no concept, there was no concept of Kenyan or Zikoi or anything like that. So we're used to Shmuel, says the Gemara. And Shmuel makes sense according to the Mishnayas. So where's Rav coming from? El Rav, my taima. Rav, where's he getting his reasoning from? So we said his reasoning, but we didn't say his source. What's his source? So the Gemara answers, Tanayi. Right? It could be that these cases are actually Machlokas Tanayi. As follows, We have a story of Ravoshia's daughter-in-law. In those days, the base of Merchatz was typically outside, as we had already discussed in Masech Shabbos, it was outside of the Tchum of the city. Okay, so she goes, and she takes one of these, I mean, she's a young bride, and you know teenagers with their showers, they can take five hours. By the time she's finished with her shower, she, it's already, like, well past Kiddush, and well past the soup, it's Friday night, and it's totally dark, she realizes, uh-oh, it's the middle of the night on Shabbos, and she's standing there outside the Tchum in the base of Merchatz. So, at some point, her mother-in-law, of all people, realizes that she's missing, and says, the Gemara, her mother-in-law feels bad, so she, so Rashi has to say, and everyone has to say, it's less, it's, it's less good of a story, but in the story is, you can't make the air of Chumin, as we know, on Shabbos. So the only way it works is, her mother-in-law knew that she takes long showers, ahead of time. But she, so she didn't say anything, but she actually had made her an air of Chumin before Shabbos to enable her to return home. Now that she took care of it, uh, of the problem, before the problem arose, such that when this kala was stuck outside the Chumin, the base of Merchatz, turns out her mother-in-law had already made her an air of Chumin to enable her to come home. Amazing. However... There's a problem. The, the mother-in-law made it for her, but she wasn't unaware. She was unaware of this, right? The Kala wasn't aware. And so it's a question. Can you, can the mother-in-law have been Mizaka her or not without her knowledge? Let's see. So, Vav Maisa the name of Remember, Rebichia is Rav's Rebbe. The Maisa came in front of Rebichia, the last of the Tanaim, the Asar. And Rebichia Asard it. He Asard the daughter-in-law from coming home. Wow. That's very machmer, don't you think? He Asard her from coming home. 
So Amalar Rabbi Shmuel Rabbi Yosi. So Rabbi Shmuel said to Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Yosi said to Rabbi Chia, Bavlai. Why do you call him a Bavlai in a derogatory way? They were living in Israel, but Rabbi Chia was originally from Bavel. So it would be like if you're in Israel and you're doing all these things, says, oh, you, uh, you're American, flip out, Right, you're being so machmir with Ervin. We know that's really unusual. We're supposed to be making with Ervin. What's this idea of because of Ervin, you're going to have this collar freezing out there outside of the Tchum all Shabbos long? So Kach Amar Abba, he said, this is what my father Yossi said. Kol hakel. He's supposed to find kulas for Ervin. I'm supposed to leave people out in the cold outside the Tchum. So this was a real reprimand of Rabbi, of Rabbi Chia over there. Okay. So now the Gemara is going to say, what was Rabbi Chia thinking? Six lines up from the wide. The Ibailahu. In the base medrash, they later discussed the case, and they said, so first they asked the following. What was Rabbi objection? Why didn't he let the kala back in? Was it because the Arab was made with her mother, with the mother-in-law's food, and she wasn't mezakeh it to her? Or, right, that the mother-in-law took the kala's food, but the kala was unaware of the fact that the mother-in-law was using her food. And therefore, it was the fact that it wasn't referred to. Because remember, we said in the Mishnah, uh, we were analyzing this, and we already said, either you could take your, like Rabbi Heinemann could take his own matzahs, and be back all of Baltimore, or he could take all of Baltimore's matzahs, but then he has to notify them. So what was the problem here? Was this, whose food was this, and was it an issue of the fact that she wasn't mezakeh her, or was it an issue of the fact that she didn't notify her? So so the Gemara says like this, Amr lahen, ahu mi Rabbanan, Rabbi Yaakov Shmei, it's an interesting way of introducing this individual. You could have said, Amr lahen Rabbi Yaakov, but for some reason they say, one of the rabbis, whose name was Rabbi Yaakov, said, it was explained to me in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, right? Clearly, that's what I would have guessed, right? In other words, she's not going to use the Kala's own food. She used her food on Erev Shabbos, right? She was, the mother-in-law was cooking for Shabbos. She's having this young couple over for Shabbos. She's cooking, and she said, you know what? I'm going to take some of my own food, and I am going to make an Erev for my daughter-in-law, because I see that she's, about, she's heading out a little late. She's running behind. She's going to end up stuck there for Shabbos. But the problem was, that the mother-in-law didn't officially, didn't formally mezake, lift the Erev properly, be mezake to the daughter-in-law, and that made Rabbi Chia say that you couldn't do it. So you see that what? We have the idea of Mizakila, and is this a Shitufem of us? No. This is an heir of Tchumen, after all. So Shmuel would have none of this, right? Shmuel isn't concerned about any of this. Shmuel, because it's an heir of Tchumen, right? He only needs this Zikoi by what, like we do, for Shitufem of us. But this clearly shows that it's like Rav. This is Rav's this is Rav Shita. He's following his Rebbe, Rabbi Chia. He's saying that for, a, for an heir of Tchumen, you need to have a Zikoi. Okay, you need to, right, to be, make that Kenyan for for, on behalf of the daughter in law. Okay, so that's what Rabbi Yaakov says, and the Gemara is going to support it with another story. I believe it's the same Rabbi Yaakov, Burbam wasn't sure, and also they again introduce him in a weird way. The Rabbi Yaakov, the son of the daughter of Yaakov, so Yaakov was also his maternal grandfather's name. Why don't they mention his father? His father apparently wasn't such a great guy, so they, didn't, they left him out of it. Anyways, so this Rabbi Yaakov says, He says, okay, so Rabbi Zeira said to Rabbi Yaakov, who brought this up, he said, aha, so you're telling me this story. Let, let me, okay, when you go to... Uh, when you go over there um, to your destination, before you go, can you go out of your way a little bit, make a detour, and stop in Sur? Because who's in Sur? What's going on in Sur? Rabbi Yaakov bar a different Rabbi Yaakov, but a famous Rabbi Yaakov who everyone holds in very high regard. Uvami named me Rabbi Yaakov bar Ask the famous Rabbi Yaakov bar right? Vamina, when he arrived. Okay, I'm sorry. So ask him Yaakov bar That's what he said. So ask him about this halacha. So Vamina, so sure enough, Rabbi Yaakov, the son of the daughter of Yaakov, gets to Rabbi Yaakov bar and he asks him, That very same question, was this the, was this the mother-in-law's food and the issue was that she wasn't a zakate her daughter-in-law? Or perhaps, right, it was because it was from her, uh, the daughter-in-law's food and it was just because she didn't notify it. So, Amalei, Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov, Rabbi Yaakov, Just as you had said, 
that it was it was really the mother-in-law's food. Nothing changed here. In other words, he just confirmed what they had um, speculated, I guess, or what they had thought was the case. What they thought they'd heard from Yochran, that it was, in fact, the mother-in-law's food, and the issue with the Seir of Tchumen was that she wasn't Mazake, her daughter-in-law. But be that as it may, we see that Rav was following the opinion of Rav Chia. That's what Rashi over here says, right? Rav Chia koi karav b'tchumen, says Rashi. That Rav was holding and Rav are consistent with regard to Tchumen. And then he just explains why you don't need, right, the Kenya, why you don't need this kind of Kenyan with regards to Ev Chatzeros. So finally, after all this discussion, we get the Svara of Rav, which is so counterintuitive to us. Okay? And then he finally says, And even though Rav's Shita is so not, um, right, doesn't sound, it's so counterintuitive to us, and it's against the Mishnayas, Rav Tano Palig. There it is. That Rob doesn't have to be consistent with the Mishnahs because he's such a prominent Amara so as to be considered a Tana. Wow. Four, okay, so now, Amar of Nachman. Naktinan, right, four lines down in the wide. Naktinan, we accepted a tradition from our teachers. So we say, this is how we paskin, in fact, you see uh, indication here in the Gemara that this is how we paskin, that you need to do the Zikwe for Erev Tchumen and for Erev Chatseros and for Shitufim uh, Avos. Okay? So all of them need this. So really, this Machokas Rav Shmuel is not a lacha. We, we make the zikoi for all of these. Okay, good. So now, this is not like, right? So that's not like necessarily Rav Shmuel. We make a Kenyan in all those cases. Now the Gemara is going to ask an, an interesting thing. This is something that, uh, it sounds like the same words, and pe- people will be quick to tell you that it has nothing to do with it, but on the other hand, it has everything to do with Erevin. Look at this. Ba'i Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman wants to know. Eruve Tafshilin. Whoa, Erev Tafshilin. Right? We're talking about, remember Erev Tafshilin? Erev Tafshilin is the, is the food that you cook. Right, in order to be able to allow you to cook on Yantiv for prior to Shabbos. So Erev Tafshilin, when you want to make an Erev Tafshilin, Sar Chazakos or Ein Sar Chazakos. So you see, there is in fact some connection between Erev Tafshilin and Erev Chatseros and Erev Shitufim Avos. What's the connection? Well, they're called Erev. I guess Erev is when you are actually, um, right, you're, uh, you're actually combining things. Now, what does that mean though? In the context of Erev Tafshilin, who are you being Mazaka? So you have to explain that you're being mezake the people for whom it's being made. It's Erev Tafshilin. So you're making an Erev Tafshilin. Do you have to make a proclamation? Andrew is being mezake all the members of his household with this Erev Tafshilin. So I'm Rabbi Yosef, what's this question? Did you not hear what Nachman Barada said in the name of Shmuel? Eruve Tafshilin. He had said that Erev Tafshilin. Yeah, we actually had a record of Shmuel saying that you do have to be mezake people for Erev Tafshilin. So why is Rav Nachman asking this? So obviously he had not heard that from Shmuel. Because if he had heard it from Shmuel, why would he ask? Right? You wouldn't have asked the question if he had heard the answer. So Rav Yosef said to him, So Rav Yosef said, no. Actually, Shmuel said with regards to Erev Tchumen, that, as we know, that remember, Shmuel said that you only have to be Mazako for Shitufim Avos, but not for Erev Tchumen. And Rav Nachman himself said that you have to be Mazako for both. Okay, so here too, Erev Tafshilin, Rav Nachman may have known of Shmuel's halacha, but he wanted to know what was considered normative halacha. Does he, does he agree with this idea of the fact that, that, do we agree with Shmuel that we do or do not make the Erev Tafshilin? Okay, so Abayi is going to prove, no, 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 Rav Nachman, still, he wasn't aware of Shmuel's halacha. What kind of comparison is this? I understand regarding Erev Tchumen and Shitufim Voz, Pligi Rav Shmuel. There, there's Machlokas Rav Shmuel. And there, Rav Nachman is just telling you that we're being Machmer in both directions. And again, that is um, counterintuitive because, after all, um, it's, um, it's something where we're supposed to be Megil in Hilchos Erevin. And yet, Rav Nachman is Machmir like both Rav and Shmuel, that you have to make this Kenyan. But here, with regards to the Erev Tashilin, if it's true that he heard Shmuel's halacha, is there anybody who argues on Shmuel's opinion? Therefore, since, again, with regards to Erev Tchumen and Shitufim Avos, we see that there's a Machlokas. So there he would inquire. With regards to the Erev Tashilin, nobody says anything about the Erev Tashilin uh, otherwise. So since there's no contrary opinion, Rav Nachman uh, could, would never question Shmuel. Because there, there is no halacha. So it sounds like, 
Rav Nachman did not have the same kind of authority that Rav and Shmuel had. Where he, whereas, in other words, if he had heard one of those authorities, Rav or Shmuel, propose a halacha uncontested, Rav Nachman would never question it. Okay, so Rav Nachman is really just taking it's it, like Rav and Shmuel as the source of the halacha, and he's being machmer in both cases with regards to she took from and Erev Tchumen. But it must be they not heard Shmuel say that you need to make a kenyan by Erev Tashilin, because had he heard so, he would never have actually questioned it because he was in deference, he was deferential to Shmuel. Okay, fine. Interesting halacha. Thirteen lines up now. The Gemara is going to talk about. Where whether somebody could be forcibly included in Erev or a sheet of Mavaz. What's going on? Let's tell, let's tell, let's tell the case. Hahu Turzina. This is a guy, like a Tarzan type guy. The The Turzina is like a Second Amendment guy. He owns a gun shop. He's a classic, uh, classic uh, guy with a gun shop. The He was lived in the neighborhood of Zera. Okay, so this guy is not going to have to be maskier, as we have been discussing his rishus for the case of the for the uh, sake of the Arabs. I'm relate. Okay, so all the Jews in the area said, Oh, Gerlan, Rishus, Lisa writes to your area, and Lo, Oh, Gerlahu. He was not, he was very skeptical of these guys. He was not a very approachable individual. He was a very intimidating gun shop guy. And so he didn't want to rent out nothing to these people. So also the Kamei of Zera. So that, the Jews are coming to Zera and they're saying, We have this gun shop owner in our community, and he doesn't want to, and he doesn't want to rent out his space. What are we going to do? So Amr Lahu, Amr Lay, they said to him, Midvisu. How are we going to do this? Can we lease the rights Midvisu from his wife? Ah, we know that the gun shop owner, he's, he's got a very tough exterior. But he's got a nice wife. Maybe we can release this area for the wife in order to make the Erev. So Amr al-Hur, they were sent to them. Hachi Amr al-Shlakish, which made the Gavar Rabbah. This is something that Rabbi Shlakish said in the name of a mysterious great person. Umanu Rabbi Hanina. That person is Rabbi Hanina. Wow, that a woman can participate in an Erev on behalf of her husband even without his knowledge or consent. Wow. So yeah, go to the gun shop guy's owner's wife and make the Erev. Okay. So that was in Rav Zayr's community. What about Yeshua ben Oshia? They also had... Uh, this is a, a gun shop owner. Ahu Torzina, Right? In the community of Russia, there's also this one of these Gaisha gun shop dudes, Amrlay, and the residents of the area said, Ogalan Rishusach, lease your rights to us. And similarly, he was unapproachable and intimidating. He didn't want any part of these people. So also the Kamei of Yudabar Oshia. So they went to Yudabar Oshia and Amrlay, and they asked him, Can we lease it from his wife? His wife seems more approachable. So Lo he actually didn't know what Allah would be, whether that was allowed. So also the commander of Masna, they went to the other rabbi and they asked him if they could do it, and Lo and he also didn't know. So also the commander of Yehuda, they came before Yehuda, obviously not Yehuda Barashia, but the, the other Yehuda, and Amalu, Achi Amar Shmuel, Isha Shaladim, Arev Shalomi Daito. And he quoted Shmuel as a source to say that a woman can be married for her husband without his knowledge. So now the Gemara asks, six lines up, Nashim Shalomi Das Balehan, when you talk about joining an Arab, women who join the Arab, Without the consent or knowledge of their husbands, ain eruv an eruv. The eruv is invalid. Ain shituf an shituf. So neither an eruv chaseros nor a shituf mavos can be done without the consent of the husband or the knowledge, his knowledge at least. So what was Shmuel telling them? What was this halacha that you can go to the wife? So the Gemara answered lokasha ha the asar ha the lo asar. What does this mean? In other words, when you say that a woman can join an eruv without her husband's uh, consent, we, then then you say that that is when it's not going to ruin the eruv. That's what's going on. In other words, you need the husband's das. And therefore, it shouldn't usually work to just get the wife's consent without her husband's das. But the asr means that if you, if you have no other choice, and the only way, if you don't get the consent of the wife, the entire Arab is going to be considered asr, so then we are going to allow as a special dispensation to circumvent this idea of needing the husband's das. But halo asr, but mi'ikaradin, this idea, right, of this brisa is actually, um, is actually the halacha, that unless we don't ruin the Arabs, so what would be the case? So for example, um, let's say, uh, you know, right outside the Arab of, uh, of Baltimore, there's a brisker living with his wife, and he doesn't hold to the Arab. So the wife comes in front of Rabbi, right, in front of Rabbi Heineman, uh, Shlita, and she says, can you please just include us in the Arab? I want to move, I want to take the baby with the stroller, and my husband doesn't need to know, like, he won't be happy about this. That won't work. Because that only affects their family, right? That's called the low asar, right? However, if they needed his consent 
to just make the entire air of, of Baltimore valid, then they're not even going to bother asking the husband. That's the point. Okay. So, fine. Also, the law. So, and you say, Hachinami Mistabra. It also um, makes sense that Shmuel. Uh, held this way, right? That he doesn't typically permit the woman to join in the air without husband consent. The imkain kasha de shmuel ad shmuel because shmuel himself had said elsewhere that you need the, the uh, husband's consent. Ad shmuel because shmuel said echad mei mavoi shavagal ishtatim mei mavoi. Shmuel had said that if you have one of the members of the mavoi that typically joins the air regularly, v'loni ishtatim from one time he didn't join. B'nei hamavoi nichnasim l'toch beisov v'notni shituvan menu balkochol. And b'nei hamavoi because he usually joins the air and because normally without him the shituv doesn't work. You just what you do if he says he doesn't want to join is you just go to his house and you take it from him forcibly. Wow. Okay, so that's a statement, right, in, indicates that sometimes you could do it balfarchal, right? Mishnatev shalom does. So that says the Gemara of Ragil, that's because when he usually joins this Erev in, right? When he's usually he's joining the Shituf, then of course you, in fact, would permit it. She'ein Ragil, low. But obviously if he's not usually going to contribute, then not, and, and in the case where ain't Ragil, that means that since he's not usually participating, that is an indication, right? That in fact, it's not critical for the Erev for this person to participate. So if he's just a casual participant that sort of asks her to the Erev, we're not going to do it forcibly against the Suhail. So we see again, even within Shmuel's own statements, this idea that if you're critical to the Erev, we're going to do it Shalomidah. And if you're not critical to the Erev, we're not, we're going to require you to know about it. Shmami, no. That we learned that Shmuel is in fact consistent with this idea of knowing versus not knowing. Now we're going to support that even from another Brysa. Back to Ervin Dav Beis, that we can compel a person to make a Lechi Akara for a Mavoy. Meaning, right, how, how, how does this work? How are you coercing someone to make a lechi kar mavoi? Are you going to make him build an air of at gunpoint? What's going on here? So the article quotes the no to be Yehuda. What's this coercion? The coercion is the air of fund. That if the community's economy is such that the air will not go up unless every member of the community joins in the air of fund, we can in fact coerce an individual to participate in that air of fund. So when it's critical for the community, you can do it even bal karcho. So the Gemara shiny husband. It's different there in the case of mavoi with the lechi kar the lekam mechitos because on that there. We don't have mechitzos, and therefore we need the mechitzos. Rashi, umavoy megulahu ve'ena noach l'shamro hilchakov enoso. Rashi is saying a different thing. Ena noach l'shamro means we don't feel safe unless we have a mavoy. So maybe it could be that that particular price is not really a support of us, right? As we turn to Amud uh, Beis at the hopeless time of, um, of six twenty-two a.m., which means we're only going to get up to the stop mission. It looks like okay, but we'll, we'll try to catch up with Hashem tomorrow. I apologize for that. So, anyways, lishna achrina. Another version of the Gemara's objection is mitzad shiny. It's different when it is on the side going on here with this on the side so we have uh th- that is actually very very controversial this uh you know you're in trouble when the note in article says this version is incomprehensible and is obviously a printer's error okay so if you didn't understand what he meant by it's not shiny you're not the only one nobody understood it there are a whole bunch of different suggestions as to what it means either the in shiny or rotate shiny in other words maybe that case is different in, in, in a bunch of different ways the villain gone gets involved in the Behuda. this is already a a little bit of an error it's very hard to read that into the gemara but the point is that again with regards to um, the lechi v'kara, that could be a different halacha altogether, having nothing to do necessarily with das, as it applies to shituflim of us. Just finishing up to the Mishnah, that you can make a lechi uh, incidentally out of a, 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 a shera wood. Wow. Well, a shera is aser, no, how can you do that? You can make a kara from an asher tree. So man da amar kara, if you make the kara from an asher, then you certainly would allow a lechi to be made from it. Uman da amar lechi, aval kara lo. Right, Why? Because the point is that the lechi can be insubstantial, and therefore you can actually 
right? It doesn't need to be substantial in order to, to function as an Arab. It's just like a string, like a line. But a kara has to be substantial. So if you hold that only the lechi, uh, asherah can be used only for lechi, it can't be used for a kara. Because chatute mechlis shura, this is like what you say by lulav a gazel by lulav. If it's an asherah, it's as if it has no substance at all. And if it has no substance at all, then it's considered insignificant and would not fulfill the shear of a kara and therefore would not qualify as a kara. So if you hold that the asherah can be used as a kara, so then certainly a lechi would be. But it, it does not work the other way around. And therefore, if you hold that only a lechi can be used at, from an asherah, then the kara would not. Be'ezat Hashem, we'll pick up on this tomorrow. Right there.